Hi, and welcome to Health Now from WebMD. I'm your host, Carrie Gann. There's a lot going on in the health headlines these days, but don't worry, we've got you covered with expert advice and stories on the health topics that mean the most to you. It's Memorial Day weekend, the unofficial start of summer, so today we're talking about summer health and safety. First, tips to protect yourself and your family from Lyme disease. Then, how to pick the perfect watermelon and some simple recipes to try. Next, do you think you know how to protect yourself from the sun? Take our quiz to find out. Then, an expert weighs in on what you need to know about drowning and dry drowning. And finally, our tweak of the week will help you get your day off to a great start. That's all coming up. The CDC recently issued a warning that cases of Lyme disease are on the rise. They increased more than 80% between 2004 and 2016. And those are just the cases that were reported. Experts believe the actual number is 10 times higher, or about 300,000 cases each year. The black-legged tick, or deer tick, carries the bacteria that causes Lyme infection. You get sick when you're bitten by an infected tick. But the same tick can also carry other diseases that can make you sick, diseases that are also on the rise. Most cases of Lyme are in the Northeast and Upper Midwest, but it has been reported as far south as Florida and Mexico. So how can you protect yourself and your family this summer? First of all, know the symptoms to look out for so you can get treatment as soon as possible. Fever, chills, headache, fatigue, muscle and joint pain, and swollen lymph nodes. A rash is often one of the first symptoms, and you may have heard that the key thing to watch for is a rash that looks like a bullseye, but that only happens in about 20 to 30% of cases. Most of the time, it's red, round, and about two inches across, but it gradually gets bigger. It may feel warm, but it usually doesn't itch. If you don't get treatment, symptoms can get worse. You might get a severe headache, more rashes, severe joint pain and swelling, heart palpitations, and shooting pain, numbness, or tingling in your hands and feet. Doctors can diagnose Lyme disease based on your symptoms and whether you've been exposed to ticks. Blood tests can also help, but their accuracy depends on when you were bitten. Antibiotics can treat Lyme infection in the early stages, and they cure about 90% of cases. Experts aren't sure why, but about 10% of people who get Lyme infection can't shake the disease and may go on to have long-lasting symptoms such as fatigue, joint pain, and short-term memory loss or confusion. When you're outdoors, it's important to take steps to prevent a tick bite. Wear pants and socks in the woods and areas with lots of trees. Wear tick repellent that has DEET, lemon oil, or eucalyptus, and put it on your skin and your clothing. For extra protection, use the chemical permethrin on clothing and camping gear. Shower within two hours after you come inside and check your skin and hair for ticks. Deer ticks have to be attached to you for 36 to 48 hours to transmit Lyme disease. If you remove them within that time, you aren't likely to get infected. And put your clothing and any gear you used into a hot dryer to kill whatever pests may remain. Now that summertime is getting started, you'll probably start to see a host of sweet, juicy fruits at your grocery store or farmer's market. And it doesn't get much tastier than watermelon. But when you go to buy one, you can't exactly see through that thick green rind. How do you know you're picking a good one? There are a few ways to tell. First, 
Take a good look at it. It should look firm and symmetrical without any dents, cuts, or bruises. The rind itself should look dull, not shiny. Also, check the rind for a buttery yellow spot. That's called the field spot, where it sat on the ground to ripen in the sun. If that spot is white or green, the watermelon isn't ripe. Then, pick it up. A ripe watermelon should feel heavy for its size. Can you tell if it's ready by thumping the melon? Some people say it will sound hollow if it's ripe, and others say the sound doesn't really matter. Once you've picked your melon, you can slice it up and enjoy it plain. That's always delicious. Or you can turn it into a few easy summer dishes. You can dice it and mix it with jalapenos, cilantro, lime juice, and a sprinkle of salt. You'll get a fresh salsa to serve alongside grilled chicken or fish. For a light, tasty dessert, cube your watermelon and add it to skewers with slices of kiwi and banana and seedless grapes. And if you're firing up the grill, yes, this fruit even makes a great grilled treat. Brush slices with a bit of lime juice and honey and grill them for a couple of minutes on each side. You can make it spicy with a little cayenne pepper too. A few fun nutrition facts for you too. Watermelon is about 92% water, so it's hydrating. It has vitamin A, vitamin C, and a lot of lycopene, which is an antioxidant that may lower the risk of cancer and other diseases. So not only is it tasty, it's healthy too. Memorial Day weekend means that summer is here. Parents everywhere are getting ready to fill the wading pool in the backyard or plan that beach vacation. But some of us are going to worry at least a little bit about something that always seems to make the news about this time every year, dry drowning and secondary drowning. You may see headlines and stories about this pop up on your social media feeds, but let's get the facts about it from our chief medical editor, Dr. Michael Smith. Hey, Dr. Smith. Hi there. So, First, let's talk about drowning. There's mm -hmm. a lot of misconceptions, a lot of misunderstanding about what it is and what it looks like. So what should people be on the lookout for? Right, so we have to recognize it's way too common, right? So we need to be really vigilant. We think of it like what we see in the movies, arms flailing around, people screaming. And the problem is oftentimes it can be quite subtle. Like the kid, you know, it obviously happens more in children, the kid is so focused on staying above the water, oftentimes you won't have the arms flailing. You won't hear anything. And there's a really cool video that circulates around the internet about what is it look like? Can you spot the person, the child that's drowning? Right. And almost no one can because it's so subtle. And that's why, you know, lifeguards are very attuned to it and why we always need to keep an eye on our kids. Right. That's very scary that it's just doesn't, yeah, it can be pretty silent. Absolutely. Especially if you're in a, a crowded pool with a bunch of kids, that kid could get really lost among everyone else and sure. you really won't notice it. Gosh, well, good thing to keep an eye out and make sure you're near a lifeguard Definitely. for sure. What exactly is dry drowning and also secondary drowning? What's yeah. the difference there? So dry drowning and secondary drowning are not medical terms. Anytime you breathe in, and we're talking about breathing in water, not swallowing water, but anytime you do breathe in water, even if it doesn't get down into your lungs, there is a chance that you could get into trouble. So what might happen is a kid is, you know, maybe in trouble in the pool, head gets a little submerged, they do breathe in a little bit of water. And with dry drowning, what happens is basically you get a, a spasm of your vocal cords from the contact with water. And really essentially the airway can 
shut down. So obviously the kid is unable to breathe. It can happen in, in adults, much more common in kids, but really both dry and secondary drowning are extremely rare. So it's important because we hear a lot about it, like you said, in the media, but in reality, rarely ever happens. Gotcha. Secondary drowning, the water actually gets into your lungs. I see. Okay. So it produces more of a lung effect of what we call pulmonary edema, which is essentially buildup of fluid on the lungs. Now, a couple of important things with dry drowning and secondary drowning, you saw, you probably have heard some reports where the kids are totally fine one minute and the next minute. That's not true. Okay. The kid will be coughing. The kid will have some signs that they basically sucked in some water. Right, and so they'll be coughing, may get shortness of breath. So we know that something's going on. So we know we need to keep an eye on the kid. Most kids will be completely fine, but you wanna keep an eye on the kid for a few hours, make sure they're okay. If they ever have any trouble breathing, they seem to be getting worse, that's the sign you need to get, definitely get them to the emergency room, not your doctor's office, because there's really nothing your doctor can do because the, the kid needs to be observed for a few hours. Generally what happens with dry drowning, secondary drowning can be a slightly longer period of time, maybe even 24 hours or so later, but still you will have known that that child aspirated or breathed in some water with some symptoms. Okay, so if you're keeping an eye on your child, it, you should be able to pick up on some of the signs that something is going on. There's just not going to be a sudden exactly sudden yeah. crisis. That's why it was so scary when parents heard this. like. They were led to believe that one minute their kid's completely fine. Right. They get out of the pool and several hours later, they're they dead. Died. That just yeah. doesn't happen. They will have symptoms, so watch them. Okay, well that's good to know. So, how, so you mentioned that this is very rare. How worried should we be about this though? Because I feel like we always hear about this this time of year, unfortunately with some kids dying from this. Mm -hmm. Well, we should all be worried about drowning, right? Because sure. it's way too common with kids, happens even in adults. So just the same things we're gonna to do to prevent drowning, like always keeping an eye on our kids, never leaving your, kid, your child, especially babies alone in the bathtub, at home, putting a fence around your pool, never letting your kids in the pool, all of that stuff that we're gonna to do to prevent you know, regular drowning mm -hmm. is the same stuff we need to do to prevent dry and secondary drowning. So you should be concerned about it just as you would be concerned about drowning because it is a, a significant problem. This weekend, when people are heading to the pool, heading to the beach, what are some general water safety things that they should be aware of, especially parents, like you say, with young kids? Right. Never take your eye off them. Right. Right. I don't care how old the child is, always watch them, especially because in these crowded Memorial Day pools, there'll be a lot of kids. There's a ton of people right? thrashing and around, yeah. The water doesn't have to be over their head. Kids get distracted, they, they're playing. Anytime they get submerged, they, there's the chance that you know some type of drowning that we've been talking about could happen. So always keep your eye on them. Obviously, if it's a kid that can't even swim, keep them at arm's length. I mean, really, we just need to be very vigilant about watching our kids because drowning can kind of come out of nowhere, right? It right. just can happen when you least expect it. And obviously it doesn't always look like what you think it will look like. Exactly, so. and in that crowded pool could be easily missed. Definitely, well, very important safety tips for this Memorial Day weekend. So thank you so much, Dr. Smith. My pleasure. If you're planning some outdoor time this holiday weekend, don't forget to bring your sunscreen. It is essential for protecting you from skin cancer and the other harmful effects of the sun's rays. It seems simple enough. You buy a bottle or 
dig one out of your medicine cabinet, rub a bit on your skin and go, right? Turns out there's a little more to it than that, and most of us don't really do it the right way. So let's see how much you know about the right way to use sunscreen. We've got a quick little quiz. Question number one, true or false? Any kind of sunscreen will protect your skin from sunburn, wrinkles, and age spots. The answer is false. Any sunscreen should protect you from a sunburn, but only those that have the words broad spectrum on the label will make a difference when it comes to skin aging and preventing skin cancer. And that term, broad spectrum, means that the product guards the skin from two types of the sun's rays, UVA and UVB. So look for that on the label before you buy it. Okay, next question. How long does a bottle of sunscreen last? Is it six months, one year, or three years? Most of us know that sunscreen should have an expiration date somewhere on the bottle, and it should last for three years. That's the right answer. That's how long the FDA requires that sunscreens keep their strength. And maybe that's hard to believe if you always feel like the bottle you're about to throw in your bag is without fail expired. That sounds a little familiar to me. It could be a sign actually that you're not using sunscreen often enough or in the right amount. If you're using the right amount of sunscreen and putting it on every day, it shouldn't take you anywhere near three years to get through a bottle. So keep that in mind when you're rooting through that medicine cabinet. All right, so let's go on to question number three. How much sunscreen should you put on? A pea-sized drop, a tablespoonful, or enough to fill a shot glass? Now the correct amount that experts recommend is one ounce for your whole body, which is enough to fill a shot glass. There's your correct answer. And if you actually put on that amount, good for you. Most people only put on a quarter to a half of that, which is not enough to protect your skin. And that can seem like a lot to put on a whole shot glass full for your whole body. There's a different way to think about it, which is called the teaspoon rule. And that means you use one teaspoon of sunscreen for your face and neck, one for each arm, one for the front of your torso and one for your back, and two teaspoons for each leg. There's a few other things to remember too. Put sunscreen on all your exposed skin about 15 minutes before you go outside. That will give it enough time to soak in and give you the most protection. Once you are outside, reapply it every two hours, but more often if you're swimming or sweating a lot because that can wash the sunscreen off. All right, I'm sure you guys are doing great. Let's go to question number four. Which goes on first, sunscreen or bug spray? If you're spending some time outdoors this weekend, you probably wanna protect your skin from the sun as well as bug bites. And when you're using both products, bug spray should go on last. Putting sunscreen on over it actually makes both of them less effective. Okay, last question, here we go. An SPF 30 sunscreen protects your skin better than SPF 15, is that true or false? It is true. A broad spectrum sunscreen with an SPF of 30 should block about 97% of the sun's UVB rays. And there are products out there that have higher SPFs than that, and they might give you slightly more protection, but actually there's no sunscreen that can block 100% of the sun's rays. But no matter how high your SPF, you still need to apply the right amount every two hours that you're outside. A higher SPF does not mean that the sunscreen will last longer. All right, I hope all of you aced that quick sunscreen quiz and you're ready to keep your skin safe this holiday weekend. You can learn even more sunscreen facts with the full quiz. You can find the link for it in our show notes. 
All right, it's time for our tweak of the week. This week, get some sunlight first thing in the morning. As soon as you wake up, step outside or at least open the shades or curtains. It gets your brain going, lifts your mood, and keeps your body clock on track. It can actually help you sleep at night too, which may be especially important as you get older. And that's because aging eyes are less able to take in light, and you're also more likely to have trouble sleeping as you get older. So take advantage of that early morning sunshine to get your day off on the right track. That's all for this week. Thanks to everyone for joining us, and thanks to everyone who's subscribed to the podcast so far. Talk to you next week. Bye.